thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And we are technologically challenged. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So if everybody could see what was going on behind the scenes today, they would have a little giggle at us, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Uh, Look, even I'm giggling at the moment. (laughs) Let's just say there's been Skype issues and we've just adapted. So say no more. Carry (sighs) on. (laughs) And it's it's a wonderful thing. Adapt and overcome. Adapt and overcome. There we go. And improvise. Adapt, improvise, well, overcome. I got it. Well, do you know, I'm not surprised actually that you two have been able to be so creative and magnificent because you've both been on fabulous little holidays. So mm-hmm. you're very refreshed and, and, and had a fabulous, fabulous time. Yeah, we have. Um, well, we've both been in New Zealand, but not together. We didn't even see each other in New Zealand. Uh, Kim with, went with her family, but I went with my dad and I did a beautiful trip down memory lane with my dad. He was born in Kaikoura, New Zealand. So we landed in Christchurch, drove up to Kaikoura through the most amazing country, um, breathless beaches. Uh, amaz- it's just, I just love, I love New Zealand. It's a beautiful country. It, it is just a stunning country. And and we, yeah, we did a trip down memory lane. He's related to everybody in Kaikoura, I've decided, um, and everybody in the cemetery, and everybody in the cemetery, which was hilarious. Oh, yes, I went to school with him. Oh, yes, he's my aunt, or, or she's my aunt, or he's my uncle, or this is, oh, gosh, it was hilarious. And then um, we just visited people along the route to uh, Auckland, and then we went to my dad's sister's 90th birthday who is not feeble and in a wheelchair or an old people's home, but rather is wow. doing amazing things with her artwork and her life and very, very independent. Isn't that fabulous? Well, you've got that to look forward to, love. Yeah, I do have, you know, like really old, her- like my grandmother was 95. My On Dad's side, they, they live to ripe old ages. So, yes, I do have something to look forward to there. <laughs> what about you, Kim? What did you do? Awesome. We had a beautiful, we, we, we were the Griswolds. We had a camper van and took our time coming up the whole of the country. It was just so stunning and such a, you know, just such a beautiful way to connect back in where we're from and show the children, you know, they haven't been there since they were really little and just an absolute treat and honor to, um, to really experience my country and connect back in again. So I missed you both dearly, but I had a beautiful, I don't think I'd say it was a relaxing holiday because we traveled the whole length of the country in 14 days. And then my sister's wedding was at the end. So, you know, it was, it was pretty precious to, to really connect in with my family and, and just be on home soil. Oh, how wonderful. You know, those are the sorts of times that money just can't buy, you know, and for kids it's what creates memories. It's just, those are beautiful, beautiful times. Yeah, it really is, darling. And, and you, like you say, you can't put money on it and you, you start connecting back and, and I thought, you know, with today's topic, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions about this lately and it really made me reflect on my childhood and my upbringing and, and just seeing where... Um, we came from and, and how clean and green New Zealand is and what a privilege, what a privilege it is to have grown up in such a, an amazing country, really. So, and, and Australia, I put in the same category. We are so blessed. So, yeah, it was really beautiful to think about my upbringing and, and I thought a lot about Cindy's and how, you know, it really does shape who we are, the choices we make, um, the philosophies we want to instill with our children and, and and then the timing of the question on 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 our Facebook page was you know around the whole thing around drugs the pill what's our thoughts around it and I thought gosh it's interesting isn't it depending on how we were brought up and then how our parents were brought up is probably how we all are led to believe what is right or wrong and then perhaps when we start questioning it it then starts to create the the question is is do I believe in what our parents and grandparents did or do I want to start a new philosophy. Mm. 
So tell us about what the question was so that everybody knows what we're going to be talking about today. Well, it was exactly that, around drugs, around medications, around the pill, around what our beliefs are, around whether or not we should be using them, whether or not we think the pill is a good thing. Um, and it really did raise the question. And it was interesting, like I said, it came up for me in New Zealand, just thinking about it. And I guess from my point of view, um, you know, my mum had me very young and she had me in the late 60s. Now, I truly believe her parents were brought up into the philosophy that doctors knew everything. Doctors were God and they really were seen as quite incredible individuals. And I'm not saying they weren't, but when I look at what they were, if the doctor said something, everybody believed it or everybody agreed with it. And through their generation, my parents' generation, is what I believe is what happened when the real drug revolution started occurring and that pills could fix all matter of things and vaccination was very big and, and it was just, and you know, like if I look at how I was brought up, it's not that my mother was by any means a pill popper, not at all. It was more about, oh my gosh, you've got a headache. Well, there's this amazing thing called a Panadol that, that you can use and, and Dispirin and Aspirin was very big when I was young and, and I didn't have a belief around whether drugs were right or wrong. It was just that, ironically, it helped fix a headache when you were sick or that the pill was actually a big thing around fixing people or women that had heavy periods. So it was seen as a way of controlling periods and hormones as opposed to just a contraceptive, and that seemed quite revolutionary. Well, it was revolutionary in that it gave also females um, freedom. Mm. Whereas before, you know, there was no freedom as far as um, our sexual liberation went because there was, it was either you get married and get pregnant or you, you know, you, you have, you're on the pill. So, but let, I just want to go back a little bit. Let's, mm. let's just go back in the history of medicine um, and not um, political medicine, but why has it taken such a big hold on our lives? And um, I do know that there was a, a whole history behind this. And there was a group of chemical companies who gathered together um, after the war and it was to do with um, a group of companies and they called themselves IG Farben. And IG Farben, um, along with Rockefeller, was uh, looking for a way to uh, endorse their drugs, endorse their um, chemicals. And I, I may have the wrong years here, so don't take this as fact, but I know that... Um, the story goes by this way. So they were looking for a way um, to um, dispatch their drugs or their medications. And um, they figured that the medical profession was uh, a way to do it. But they, the medical profession at that point or medicine at that point was bloodletting. Um, you know, there was, there was some pretty funny things that were happening and the education wasn't that good. So um, through philanthropy, but um, a philanthropy where they would make money on it, they started to fund the medical schools and get some organisation in the medical schools and some good education in the medical school, but along with their product. So that was the history of how medicine became the um, art of business, of business mm -hmm. basically, was through IG Farm and the Rockefeller Foundation. And what I'm finding really interesting at the moment is that, you know, I've created this nutrition course and I think that this nutrition course, because it's based on vitalism and cultural anthropology, would be good for chiropractic schools. Mm -hmm. And I've just found out that vitamin and mineral companies are throwing hundreds of thousand dollars to chiropractic schools to educate on nutrition and, of course, on the supplementation of nutrients, which to me... I'm sorry, but it's the same thing as what medicine did, you know, in the beginning of last century in finding a profession that would then dispense their medications versus now we have a profession that they're looking at that is very much vitalistic and natural uh, that, um, that basically uh, um, is doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's the same paradigm. It's an interesting, it's an interesting topic that you brought up, Cindy, because I know that we've spoken about this before when it comes to supplements. 
how, you know, it's just a, it's, a, it's just a different way, but it's still a prescription. It's still an allopathic way of treating um, humans. But what fascinates me is the um, the way that these people actually get their products to market, as you say, is by actually funding mm. the, the different associations and bodies and, and mm. boards and actually paying them to distribute their their goods. I mean, if we paid people to distribute our goods, I'm sure everybody would be happy to push what we've got. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like if we look back years and years ago, you know, herbs and spices and things like that were used um, for health. And, uh, and yes, people died and we weren't that good. But I think like medicine uh, has entered into a, a domain where they be, the belief is, is that they can heal all, but they're not healing. They're merely um, diagnosing and then giving a, a drug. And then we, in this false sense of um, security, believing that this is the way it should be, that we should be just get rid of the symptom. But remember, the symptom is to tell you that there's something wrong. By getting rid of the symptom, it's like taking... It's like taking, getting rid of the red light um, that's on our dashboard. And if we get rid of the, da- the red light that's on our dashboard, the, the car will break down. And that's what's happening to the human body. And, you know, my dad was a, a pharmacist um, back in the, the 50s. And, um, and I'm sure I've told this story before, but let's repeat it because we're talking about medications. So he was a pharmacist back in the 50s and he saw what was happening and, and then found chiropractic and chiropractic is very much based on vitalism, which is um, we look at the whole body, we just don't look at the symptoms. And as a result, you know, he went to chiropractic college, we were all born and he chose never to give us medications. And, you know, so I am 55 this year and I've never had a medication and that's how I brought my children up too. I brought them up with the belief that a Panadol is scary and dangerous so, you know, you know, like they're there for a reason and use them in an emergency, but don't especially use them for just like lollies. And I know 16-year-olds that are using them as lollies, believing that they're inert, but just getting rid of pain, that they're, that they're not a problem. And then, and then the pill, the pill is just, this is what is so scary is that we have so many infertile couples and so many women, young women that have been put on the pill usually for skin problems. I don't know why they don't put the boys on the pill for skin problems. Mm-hmm. Seriously, they put the girls on. But they then they put the boys on Roaccutane and the girls on Roaccutane. So we're giving these dangerous drugs with dangerous consequences for something we should be looking at other um, causes for it. And I think we have to be really, really careful uh, when we're advising our young girls and our young boys as to what medications we can use. You know, I think something I want to bring up, and and you both might agree or not agree, but I really do believe that a lot of what um, has happened is is we're a little, maybe not even a little, but there's a lot of responsibility back on the consumer. And and we, we blame the doctors or we're blaming pharmaceutical companies, but the reality is someone's got a headache they would much rather take a pill and know that in 20 minutes they're going to feel better or think that they're going to feel better than actually realise that they need to lie down for half an hour, they maybe need to hydrate themselves, maybe they drank a bit too much alcohol the night before, so therefore they've got to really appreciate the consequences. And I think, you know, some without blaming pharmaceutical companies and doctors and everybody, I think the consumer, we as the public who want to get rid of things quickly and we don't want to have to deal with the doing tinctures and inhalations and taking a bath and a massage. and Or like taking the, time out. Taking time out, which is usually what, I mean, 90% of illness is caused through stress and so most diseases are stress-related. They're stress-related because we're full on and we're busy and we don't have time or money to take time out. But therefore, we go to the doctor saying, can you fix me? And we want it done and we've got the promise of something that's going to take it away within 20 minutes or perhaps a week or whatever it is that the drug or the medication. And, you know, I think it's a two-way street. I, I, I really don't think we can blame everybody. And then all of a sudden, the pharmaceutical companies and the GPs, maybe the pharmaceutical companies first, saw that this was a business opportunity because the demand is there. Mm. 
And then the vehicle, the distribution mechanism is there because they've got doctors and, and these people that can actually be the vehicle for it. So I don't think we can blame them from a business sense for creating an opportunity like this. The sad thing is we're now getting a taste of our own medicine, so to speak, that we've been wanting to take away the problems quickly. Yeah. Now we've been given the answer and now we're blaming everybody for now giving us problems. But the reality is, are we prepared to take the time that's required to heal ourselves on a natural nurturing basis? I like it. I like what mm, you said. I think it's good. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right, Kim, and that's the question that people need to start asking is um, are we prepared to take the time? Are we prepared to change our diets? And there are some people that aren't prepared to change their diets. And, like, I, you know, we've been in New Zealand and I went with my dad and my dad has gout and um, his short-term memory is, is not as great as it, it – and it's only when he's tired it seems his short-term memory is not good. And he forgets to do things, like he may forget to take the coconut oil I've asked him to take or, um, you know, come up to the Sunshine Coast and buy the good quality foods that I've been talking about. And I go into his fridge and there's, as he calls it, Auntie Sarah, which is Sarah Lee cakes, you know. <laughs> he says, Auntie Sarah gives me dessert, Cindy. And I went, Dad, that's Sarah Oh, my gosh, she drives me insane. But anyway, being with him for 10 days, it was really interesting. Because he was in pain and I, I had 10 days with him and I thought, well, if you're not prepared to change your diet, Dad, then you're going to need medication. So I actually ended up going to a doctor who happened to be an amazing specialist on gout. I just loved her. I learned so much about gout. And she just said to me, look, Cindy, I can understand that you're a nutritionist and this is where you want your father to go, but he's not prepared to do it. And if he's not prepared to do it, then... We have ways to help him. And so we went through the medication schedule that he would need to be on. And, and I realized that, you know, and he is 86 and it's his first lot of medication. So he's not doing too bad, but I realized there is a point where medication is necessary and there are people that medication is for. And there are people even in their twenties that do not want to change their lifestyle, do not want to do anything differently. And so the consequences are that you'll need to be on medications because this is the best thing that we can do for you because you're not prepared to do that. Mm. So it's horses for courses, I think. Mm. And what, what another really funny thing was is that I went to my aunt's um, in um, not Palmerston North. No, she was in Hamilton. And um, she sat down to breakfast and she had a little pink pill that was shaped like a heart. So I thought, oh, how cute's that? I didn't know what it was. But it was a pink pill shaped like a heart. And then she had a white pill and half another white pill. And I said to her, Auntie Colleen, what are they for? And she said, that's my cholesterol tablet. And I went, oh, of course, a pink heart. <laughs> and the other one's for my blood pressure. I thought you were going to say Viagra or something. No, no. <laughs> I was a bit scared then for a minute. <laughs> no, it was for a blood pressure. And I said, Auntie Colleen, has, uh, I would, have you, has your doctor looked at the latest research on females and cholesterol lowering tablets? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't you ask her? Why don't you ask her about how efficient these are for women? In actual fact, there is no evidence that shows that it helps you live longer in, in females. Um, and she didn't know that. So, She's going to ask her doctor next time, will this make me live longer? Because that's the purpose of the medication is to make you live longer. And not just live longer, but live longer. Live well. 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 With quality of life, yeah. You know, it was interesting. We were on the camper van, Kaz, and I I got honestly, darling, I thought of you so many times, how you wouldn't have coped with, (laughs) Five people in a camper van and, you know, my children are basically young adults now and everything. Now, isn't it interesting? They, my beautiful, my brother and his gorgeous, um, fiance, um, she's a physio. And then there was Jacob, obviously 15 and Taylor nearly 17. And then me and Danny joined us once we got to, um, Tauranga. But what was fascinating is everybody got sick except me. Oh. I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, and, and they were hilarious. And so I, every day I'd have my little green shot. So when I went away, I took with me Cindy's Camu Camu, the green powder and the probiotics. And I just mixed it all into one, 
um, container because I didn't want to take all the three different things. But I, So I didn't have the colloidal minerals with me, but I had those three. And every day I'd do my little green shot and I'd ask everybody if they wanted one. Now, my two kids um, would, you know, they would have it, but they wouldn't ask for it. They'd only have it if I got it out for them. But Taylor, I felt, you know, we were all in close proximity and there was coughing and stuff like that. And I just thought, oh, and there was a place in Arrowtown that sold this beautiful tincture that was Manuka honey and um, uh, what Manuka honey, lemon and blackcurrant. So it was these ex- extracts and it was a liquid. And what you could do with it, you could add it to hot water or you could add it to sparkling water. Either way, it was a medicinal, it was seen as a medicinal drink, but you could drink it like a, a, a social drink and it tasted amazing. Anyway, well, so I offered, every, yeah, I offered everybody that. No one was interested. So no one wanted my drink. Anyway, um, and then when I noticed I started getting a sore throat, you know, my glands went up. I got my table or teaspoon of Manuka honey, the real high UHF factor, the, the real um, UMF factor, which is called the unique Manuka factor. It's the highest medicinal antimicrobial um, content of the Manuka honey. And then I put a chopped clove of garlic. And I tell you, everyone couldn't believe it. Well, everyone then when we got to the wedding was all going, what are you having? And I've got, I've now had friends from all, because there were some visitors from South Africa. They're now texting me. And I even had my sister today texting me going, does that Manuka honey and garlic really work? Because I've got a sore throat. And, <laughs> and I just thought it was really cool rather than lecturing everybody. It was just doing it by example. And, you know, they were all going, oh, yeah, you're the healthy one, though. And I thought it was really fascinating that you're kind of almost not put down, but taken the mickey of for being the one that does all these little herbs and tinctures and my little, you know, and I put my oils on and immune boost. And I just made sure I did not get their bugs. But fascinating, Jacob kept wanting to blame Taylor for giving him her bugs. And whereas I was trying to reframe it for him and say, honey, the bugs are there always. It's whether or not your immune system is ready or not to, to combat it. Now, fascinating, both my kids ate a truckload of sugar when we were on this trip, I let I let it go. I just let them go. Whatever they wanted to eat, they ate. And they had the thing for these cookie times, which I'm telling you are so shocking, it's bad. But anyway, they would have probably at least one every two days, if not every day. And they would have had more if they could. But I just tried to turn around to them and I said it was the cookies. <gasps> I said it was the cookies that made you sick. No. Um, but, you know, too, too much sugar... <laughs> Too much sugar does not work for an immune system, and and I really tried to explain that. So sorry if I've got I've digressed. No, no, but... I think it, no, I think it's you. You haven't digressed at all because I think it's that paradigm that people believe it's the bug that makes them sick, but it's their immune system not able to fight the bug that makes them sick, and that's the paradigm shift that we need to make. Is that it's not so it, like we have we are ninety percent bugs and ten percent human. And as long as they're working in harmony and there's not too many, you know, of the bad bugs, and there's always going to be bad bugs, there's candida, there's um, other, um, you know, like other bugs that will rise up and and will make you sick. But as long as you're eating well and your digestive system's working well and your immune system's strong, one person can get a cold be affected by the same person. One can get a cold, but the other won't because one immune system is strong as yours was, Kim, and the other person's isn't. And I, I think with those super bugs that are happening at the moment, we have to be really diligent in keeping our immune system strong because there are antibiotic resistant superbugs. Mm. So how are we going to fight them? Do we, do we try and find another drug or do we strengthen the immune system? in order to do that. And that, and you know, mm. you always look after yourself, Kim. You do all the right things. You eat right. Um, you do work hard, I must admit. Mm. And you probably need to, um, she works for anybody who's listening. Kim's up 3 a.m., 4 a.m. working <laughs> and you work, you, you do mm. work. And I think my sleep, when I'm lacking in sleep, and I know you, Kaz, you and I have talked about this about, when we don't get enough sleep that we don't feel our best. Mm-hmm. I, I just I want to ask you both a question. I want to ask you, Karen, what was your upbringing and yeah. philosophy around drugs and medications and, and what was your beliefs as you grew up around the pill and all of that sort of stuff? How did you come to conclusions and what did you decide? Well, I think I was probably more of the typical Australian, actually, where we were just blissfully unaware. Um you know, if we had a headache, we'd take a Panadol. The only thing that we didn't like was Nurofen when it came out. 
um, because there were reports about, you know, that Nurofen wasn't so good for you. We didn't really understand why, but we just sort of took that as gospel and didn't get Nurofen. Um, and then when it came time for going on the pill, I actually went and did that myself. I didn't want to actually tell anybody because I was so embarrassed. Because you were so, so young. I went, <laughs> uh, no, I was, what was I? I was 18. Thanks very much, you can't. <laughs> um, but I actually went and told the doctor that I wanted to go on the pill because I had acne. And at the time, I, I had dreadful, dreadful, dreadful acne. And I was drinking um, three or four glasses of fresh orange juice a day. And unfortunately, that just came out of my skin in, in zits and pimples. So as soon as I stopped drinking all that orange juice, my skin cleared up. I don't know if there was necessarily a correlation between those two. I'm not sure. But I went to the doctor and said, I need to take the pill to clear up my skin. And he said, yeah, sure. Um, we'll just try you on all these different brands and see how you go. And it's hilarious because now those brands have actually been taken off the market because of all the damage that they've done to women. Um, there was one Diane, there was another one Tricola mm. and Trisazel mm. and, yeah. and Nat- Nat- Natasha. Um, oh, there was another one. Uh, so, yeah, they just kept on trying all these different pills with me, not because they didn't work. I mean, obviously they were working. I wasn't falling pregnant. But um, they just wanted to try all these different pills. Each time I'd go back in for a new prescription, they'd say, hey, do you want to try this one? It's got this side effect and that side effect, but less of this and less of that. Mm. I'd be, yeah, sure, why not? If you say I should, then I will. Mm. Um, if you think it's safe, then I'll believe you. Karen, so, were you ever taught about your cycle when you would ovulate, when you could get pregnant, when you couldn't get pregnant? Were you ever taught that? Yes. My mum was very um, open about all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I did. You were. Because a lot of women aren't. A lot of young girls think that it's all the times of the month that they can get pregnant. They don't understand their cycle. And I, I think that that's the sad part of the matter. You know, there's a wonderful book out called The Red Tent, and it talks about the cycles of the moon and how we are in sync with the cycles of the moon and how women you know, back in the biblical times, um, all got their periods together. And I think we've lost that connection with our bodies. And even men should, I believe, know how this works. And we don't, people don't know anymore because we've been able to manipulate our bodies with drugs. Mm. And we've lost the understanding of the function of our body and how it works. And we believe that it's okay at 16 to take the pill. And that life will be sweet. And, and I, I, I really feel that I really feel for a lot of these young girls that are not taught the right thing about the pill, the side effects the pill has, the amount of PCOS, endometriosis, um, PCOS being polycystic ovarian syndrome, the amount of endometriosis, inflammatory diseases, uh, or inflammatory, um, pelvic diseases that we're now seeing. And, you know, if any mothers are listening to this, I believe it, it is our duty to teach our young girls uh, our cycles and the understanding of our cycles. Um, there's a beautiful naturopath by the name of Francesca Nash mm. who has a wonderful book out, and I can't remember the name of the book at the moment, but it, she's an Australian um, uh, naturopath, and she has written one of the best books on the knowledge of our cycles, the moon, uh, when we ovulate, how our birth, when the, where the moon was on our birth has something to do with a double ovulate, ovulation in a month. And giving girls this power, um, and empowering them and our boys, the understanding of this, I, I actually believe is where we need to start going. And for the person who asked this question, um, on our Facebook page, this is where I would be going is I would be getting a, a, a book that teaches you about your cycles. And if you're a woman that's now going through menopause, there are a lot of fabulous books out there on menopause and naturally dealing with it. And, um, and, and so many of my friends who are going through menopause at the moment are going on hormones. Yeah. 
It's funny because I went to the doctor. I haven't I haven't been sleeping as well as I should, and I um I have had a few headaches and things, and just assumed I had a brain tumor or something. But um anyway, I got very dramatic with the whole thing. Um anyway, oh, I went away. I know, I know. So I had a blood test before I went away. Went on the holiday and thought, no, I just need a holiday. And then the holiday wasn't restful. It was like full on. It was a zoom zoom tour of, of New Zealand and the Griswolds on holiday. But um, <laughs> but what was amazing is when I came back, I sat with, with my doctor and she's very open, but she's still very orthodox and very, um, you know, very uh, pragmatic and, and bases all of her knowledge on evidence-based science. So she likes all the evidence, um, which I appreciate, but I also feel that there's evidence for all sides and um, I feel like the more I'm learning through Cindy saying that a lot of our natural therapies don't have evidence-based science not because it's not there or it's not wanted it's just it's non-affordable so I kind of always try and keep an open eye with it all anyway she sat there and she said to me now Kim have you you know what sort of symptoms have you had and and I said, well, you know, I'm just not sleeping that well. And I, I must admit, people are really irritating me at the moment. <laughs> and, and, um, and then she goes, and I said, and it does seem to be warmer, even though people are saying that it's cooler and, and she's smiling. And then I said, and I have been having these headaches and I am a bit concerned. I might need a scan because, uh, you know, I'm thinking the worst. And she looked at me and put her hand on me and she goes, sweetheart, your FSH levels are showing that you are going through the change. And I went, oh, well, you know, if that's the case, first of all, I was a bit shocked. And then my high-pitched voice thought that's only for old people, not 47-year-olds. Anyway, she turned around and she said to me, trust me, menopause can start from 35. Anyway, then she turns around and she goes, but listen, look, based on my client's philosophy is how I treat it. So if you're someone who really is drug-orientated or, or would like to know that there's drugs and medicine, then I'm going to give you this thing. But I know your philosophy, Kim, and I'm going to share with you some of the things that you can do from your point of view. And I really appreciated that. But she said, there is medicine to help you if you want to go down the medical route. Um, but then I said, well, you know, considering I've gone through this relatively unscathed, really. And then she goes quiet and she goes, have you asked your family <laughs> that that question, Kim? <laughs> And I thought, oh, have you asked the people that you work with that question, Kim? And I thought, oh, you know, like it's such a, <laughs> it's such a big thing. But I, what, why I brought that up was I was really interested in how she approached, you know, we've got medicine for it, but there's also alternative routes. And I think that's the sort of doctor I want to be in conversation with because I also, like you, Cindy, love to learn like that doctor mm. all about the gout. Um, but Karen, back to that now, and, and I'm, I, I want to ask a personal question. If it's too personal, then just say, and I should have, if I could have texted you this, I would, but do you think <laughs> no, you now it's going out to the world? Don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> do you think, my darling, the fact that, the fact that you haven't had children, do you think any of that has had anything to do with what you went through as a young woman or was it drug? Like, what's your thoughts around that? Um, well, in what context do you mean? Like, Explain what you mean. Did, did you have children? Did you choose not to have children or could you not have children is the first question that I'd ask. And then the second question is, is what was behind that? Or is there, I know you've got a bigger picture around it. I'm just trying to, trying to help people that would have a similar question if they were in the same place. And I just love yeah. your thoughts. Well, it's interesting because I was on the pill from such a young age through to about 32 um, or 30. Yeah, till, so I was about 30. But um, in my case, I did actually fall pregnant um, a couple of times. So I was able to fall pregnant um, when I was a bit younger. And I, the first time that I fell pregnant, I um, miscarried. And then the second time that I fell pregnant was when Greg died. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I miscarried just before his funeral. Um, and then when Matt and I tried to fall pregnant, we weren't able to. We had all sorts of traumas and palavas and I ended up having, you know, um, ovaries removed and fists and things. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, 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 it's a hard one to answer because obviously I was capable of falling pregnant. Whether, um, 
what my body was going through meant that I couldn't carry. That's questionable. I mean, I think certainly around Greg's death, that would, that makes perfect sense to me that I was incapable of carrying a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was younger and I'd fallen pregnant, um, I don't know. I, 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 I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think at the time when I fell pregnant when I was younger, it didn't concern me that much because I was much younger. So it wasn't the end of the world because in my mind I thought, okay, well, you know, it's very sad and I was probably a bit sad for a couple of months, but then I got over it. Um, and I thought, well, I'm really young. I can still have kids if I decide to have kids. Um, so I, it never occurred to me that I would never be able to fall pregnant until Matt and I tried. We tried for about four years without any joy. But, of course, there was a medical explanation for that in the end. So... Mm. Um, I think I think yeah. what's important, really, and I think for our listeners, I I really one of the hardest things. The more knowledge you get, the more guilty you can feel, or the more bad you feel about what you've done or choices you've made in the past, or maybe you can blame yourself for making decisions without the knowledge. Or you know, I I do talk to a lot of women that struggle to fall pregnant, and they blame it on taking the pill or losing their father or going through traumatic experiences or eating badly. And look, I think this is where I love your philosophy, Karen, that there is a greater a greater purpose, a greater meaning in behind all of this. And why is it some children can be vaccinated and appear to be absolutely fine and someone else can pass away within the next 24 hours? Why does a two-year-old end up with leukaemia and a 90-year-old that smoked and drank all their life lead quite a fairly okay life, you know, healthy life. So, And the same with the pill. Why can somebody come um, off it after being on it for 15 and years? get pregnant and, straight away and others struggle. So, yeah, good point. Yeah, and so I'm not sure that, you know, or, or is it your body, your physicality, your chemistry at that time, it's not working or it is working? I, I don't know. I'm really questioning the whole medication side of things at the moment. Well, I think that the... It is not black and white. And so when you, if you get a drug and you read the the side effects, there'll be the common side effects and the rare side effects. But it's like pages sometimes when you read it because when they do tests on drugs, the side effects are are so variable for everybody or for the, the test cases that they do that they have to write everything down. And, and that's the thing. It's not a, it's not a, um, exact science. It's actually, a very unexact science, although in saying that, I'm in awe of some of the drugs out there and what they can do, um, such as if someone's in a lot of pain and that gets rid of their pain or um, if they're inflamed and it can pull the inflammation down. So I'm not saying um, that they're all bad. I think there is there is some good in them as well. So it's not an exact science. And the other thing that I came across actually today, which was really interesting, is that there's a new article out about cholesterol and um, if it's good or bad. So a couple of months ago, you know, there was this whole thing saying, oh, cholesterol is good, eat whatever foods you want in cholesterol. And now today a new article's come out and three peer-reviewed scientists and physicians that you would really trust in what they're doing and, you 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 know, they're not, they're not silly in any stretch of the imagination. And I'm reading the article and I'm like going, where are these guys coming from when we know that cholesterol is important for the brain, it's important for vitamin D, um, it's important for cortisone and hormones and, and things like that. So I decided to go and study the three guys and just look at their um, what they've um, re- researched, what they do, and what was really interesting. And you're going to love this one, Karen. Yeah, I'm sitting here with with bated breath on the edge of my seat, actually. You're going to love this one. Cholesterol is in the animal kingdom, not in the plant kingdom. The three of them are vegans. They're animal activists. They're about humane rights for animals. They don't like animal testing on um, in research. And so their whole philosophy about life slants them to the research that's going to prove that they're right. Mm. And I found that really interesting because as I'm reading about them, I'm like going, well, 
these guys should know what they're talking about and you know and, and they've got so many articles and they're this and they're that and I, and then I went I got, I got to look deeper like I'm really learning to look deeper with the people that are saying these things because we know that cholesterol is very important for life and um, yes you can make your own cholesterol that's that's you know we make our own cholesterol but it's also important um, that that we that we do consume it because it's part of uh, a, a whole bunch of other foods that are, are important. So it, it it's not just one thing, but it's got other foods that are in it, such as it might have omega three, or it could have a protein involved, or or something like that. So yeah, it was really it was really really interesting as I started to unfold who these were as human beings, and and the same with people who are researching down the barrel of a microscope and they're, they're looking at, at one pathway in the human body and they're going, my gosh, this pathway has something here. If I can stop that pathway, then I'm going to stop inflammation. But what they're not looking at is that's one pathway in the human body. There could be another 50 pathways that require that exact drug or whatever it is or that exact nutrient, or that enzyme, or that process, or that biochemical um, pathway, in order for other things to work in the body, and that's how side effects um, come about. Is because it it may affect one biochemical pathway in one human being, but it may not in another. And and we can go further on this with the whole vaccination issue. Why is it that some people seem to come out unscathed from vaccine, and other people, like you said, Kim? like a girlfriend of ours, her baby was dead within 24 hours after a vaccine. And she saw the immediate effect as she took her baby away from the doctor and how sick he got. And, and yeah, and then he woke up. Well, he didn't wake up the next morning. He had died. So I I love the explanation that Dr. Natasha Campbell um, McBride says, is that she says that sometimes... Um, the child is is really vulnerable because of other consequences that have happened in their lives. And then you give them the vaccine and it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's not necessarily the vaccine, but it's that it's that whole, you know, gamut of things that have happened in order to get to that point. And when you have a look at the fury in the in the um debate on vaccination, it's it's actually really scary, and I I I don't know why we've got this fury when all we have to do is really look at the facts and realize that perhaps we need testing before we vaccinate, and perhaps if we are going to vaccinate, we vaccinate with one bug only, not three as is in the MMR or um, you know they seem to be giving a whole bunch of ones together, so. You know, and that's what Natasha goes through with. She just says, it's not the only thing. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that could be also when Panadol causes a problem, which it does. Panadol can cause problems with people. And is that the straw that breaks the camel's back? It wouldn't affect one person, but it affects the next. Well, it's a bit like um, my doctor also turned around and said how, you know, we've all got teenagers. She's she's similar to mine. She's even at my school and... um, she just said that um, one of the pupil or a pupil at a same age as our children um, has been hospitalised um, due to smoking marijuana at a party on the weekend. Now, we know some people can smoke marijuana and be absolutely fine. Someone else can can have, you know, a couple of puffs on it and they're, they're, they're really sick or, or not well for six, eight, ten weeks. Um and I think the same can be said for food. Some can be, why do some people eat peanuts and someone else can die from an anaphylactic shock with peanuts? And I think everything has to be looked at independently. And I think the whole question that's been raised here is um, our thoughts around drugs, vaccination, the pill, um, our philosophies and all of that. Sometimes, girls, I think ignorance is bliss. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I would say about that, and I think we've said this a couple of times too, is that it doesn't matter what your view is. You can always find information that will substantiate it and confirm it. So, you know, for people who have a view that vaccination is the way to go, they'll be able to find evidence that they're And people who think that it's not the go, they'll find evidence that they're right. 
you know, you look at even just from all the different diets that are around. You know, people can find evidence about the different diets and why their diet is, their, is, is the best diet. And then the sad part about that is, is that we go to war for our viewpoint mm. as opposed to being accepting of not somebody else's choice, but being accepting of choice in and of itself. Mm. So I think, you know, you, if, if, even if you just look at, let's just say for argument's sake, you know, the paleo versus vegan thing, I'm not going to try and convince somebody else to be vegan because that then would be trying to remove their choice. So I'm more for choice than what I am for their choice of paleo. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, totally. So, and I'm with you, so I, 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 think that's, I think that's where we fall down as a culture and as we fall down as humanity, that we're not focused on freedom. What we're focused on is my way or the highway and there is no other way. And if you choose another way, I'm going to belittle you and run you down and, and you know, make a big shindig out of it. And, you know, especially here in Australia with what they're doing right now, you know, proposing to do around vaccination. Um, I, I, I mean, I, 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 just, I just find it all just a little bit uh, misguided because there's, you know, people... People have a right to freedom. We have a right to choose. And I don't, and I'm not concerned what, in what area that is, whether it's a political preference or a religious preference or it's a diet preference or it's a, you know, a cultural preference. People have the right to choose. You know, when I was on stage with Pete Evans, yes, that's right, let me say that again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, You know, he asked me in Auckland, he pulled me up on the stage and said, so Kim, you know, and he introduced me beautifully. He said, so tell us why you're here. Give us your story. And I walked over to him. I put my hands all over him, all over his chest. And I said, I'm here to do what every woman in this audience is dying to do. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway. But, at the, at, at, yeah. um, but what I... I can so see you doing that. <laughs> but what was so cool and what I love about him, and if you actually, anybody that knocks him or doesn't believe in him, if you really look at, if you go and take the trouble to listen to him, he's not saying you must do paleo. He is saying here is a way that our forefathers and foremothers survived. I'm really looking into how I feel when I eat this way. I've done all the pubs and the fast food and the high carb and all the alcohol. I've done all that and this didn't work for me. And now I see clarity and I have such purpose and I feel amazing and I have the power of being a well-known chef to educate people, to give them this choice, which is exactly what you're saying. And and I want to bring up another point um, around that. I, I talked about what I believe the philosophy of paleo is. And, and to be honest with you, my ignorance around it was I thought it was basically eating a whole lot of carcasses with a little bit of green and a couple of berries thrown in. Um, <laughs> but And hence why I kind of never thought myself as paleo. Um, but when I looked at the philosophy of paleo, we are actually all paleo, you included, Karen. And it is an honouring of of the planet and the animals, the plants and the kingdom in it. But whilst you may not be the part where you eat meat, Karen, um, you certainly are the other parts, good fats, lots of greens, um, and certainly chemical-free as possible and all of that sort of thing. So there's only one area of paleo that you're not paleo, but the reality is the philosophy of paleo. You are paleo. And anyway, I said all this on my latest newsletter and I had a lady write to me and she said, I, I just wanted to point out to you, I, I do follow you, I do agree with a lot of what you say, but I don't agree with this. And I went to a talk with another Sunshine Coast well-known person on the coast here and a well-known doctor spoke at that. And this doctor said that, in fact, paleo is dangerous and you should stay away from it. And anyway, and she said, I just thought you should know. And I think it's important that you're very careful with what you say. And anyway, so I really valued that. And, and, and funnily enough, I didn't get any charge around it, which I, you know, in the past I have maybe when someone's criticised or given me a critique on something and felt hurt or I didn't feel any of that. And I just wrote back and I said, look, thank you so much for caring and taking the time to write to me with that because I really appreciate that that people are saying those things. But if you really look at what my newsletter was about, it was around the philosophy. And I don't mind whether it's paleo, vegan, macrobiotic, um, breatharian, whatever it is. If the philosophy sits with you, your body, your family and your beliefs, then surely if it's out of respect for your body, your family, the environment, the community and the planet, 
then I think that's what's important, which is what's led me to this point is at the very end of our paleo talk um, with Pete Evans, all of us were on stage and Cindy, you had the same thing when all the speakers were brought out on stage. There was a question and answer. And one of the questions was a lady who was really concerned about her daughter um, who's a vegetarian, 16, and will not change her values and beliefs. And she said, but now I'm listening to you and all the importance of the the minerals, the vitamins, the fats, the the collagen, all, all the things that everyone was talking about with paleo. Um, she's worried that her daughter is not going to get those same things. And we all directed and we all looked straight to Nora Gagardis, who was on stage, and she's so amazing. Anyway, she turned around and and didn't just give a simple answer, which I think brings us back to the beginning of what you're about, Cindy, is that going deeper, going deeper and deeper. It's not just a superficial yes, no answer or black, white. And Nora said, I want to tell you this. Being vegetarian and a teenager is one of the most, is probably one of the most harmful things you could be doing to your body. And she didn't say it from a, a values point of view. She said it from a clinical and a, and, and Cindy, I might need your help here, but she went right down into the matrix of the cells and how they're formed and how they communicate and what those animal proteins do in the body that no other thing on the planet can do for a, a woman in her teens and a man in their teens and just how, and she gave it very, scientifically and forgive me listeners I, I have no idea how she even spoke it's just <laughs> it's just incredible being around these oh, academics and these amazing. people that have such knowledge but the way she delivered it also made a lot of sense and what it made me realize is um is, is I really honor that and I turned around and then I added my tuppence worth and I said look I will never be able to explain to my beautiful 16 year old daughter why I think animal proteins are important However, what I would say as a mum of a 16-year-old girl is that it's important for us as mums to do our research and to find people that give us unbiased and well-researched information, perhaps on both sides, so that then our children can make good decisions. But more importantly, that we live by example, that we, if we go, oh, you know, the pill will be fine to help you with your acne, then I would suggest that as a mum, we haven't done enough research nowadays. There is enough information and avenues to get that information to actually discover that the pill may not be the only thing or is the right thing to do. And in fact, eating four glasses of orange juice a day could be a situation that causes acne. I'm not saying it is like you said, Karen, but, you know, there there could be something a lot deeper than this. And I think really the point of this podcast really and truly is that we don't even think that we've got all the right answers by any stretch of the imagination. But I think what we do and what we totally enjoy with one another, even on conversing, and this is exactly how we talk when we're off the podcast, but it's it's about that going deeper. And then when one of us makes a comment that triggers something, the other one will go and research it or wants to find out more. And I think if you can find yourself a tribe of people that will give you um, information that then sits with you as to whether you'll take the pill or not take the pill, this is the reason why. And if you really look at the pill, for most of us, the pill is there because it's so damned easy. You know, you don't have to think. You don't have to worry about it and you can maybe go and sleep with as many people as you like or don't like. You're not going to fall pregnant ultimately. But then if you take it a, lo a deeper level again, now you're taking away your body's innate intelligence to ovulate when it's meant to in accordance with the moon and the cycles and all of those things. Go another deeper level again. If you weren't on the pill, would you sleep that easily with somebody? And then go another level again when I listen to my beautiful mother-in-law talk like this, and as a woman, when we're allowing men to enter us, and I hope I'm not going too graphic here, but what I'm trying to say on a spiritual level is you're allowing someone into you. Would you allow that as easily, knowing you wouldn't fall pregnant? And therefore, what is the deeper connection here around why we're actually having sex? And you know, I don't know if I've even said that no, in the right way. No, you said it beautifully, Kim. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I can't agree with you more. It, I think it's... You said it eloquently, and it it is something that we don't we're not questioning, um, and we're not teaching our young girls. And um, no, I I think that that should be just clipped and repeated to young girls all over the world. <laughs> That's beautifully said. And I think the, I think the thing is too is actually knowing that questioning is an option. 
Mm. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, interestingly enough, about, um, you know, their own upbringing and the way that they are and, and have been. And this particular girl, she's 30-something, early 30s. And to this day, she's never realised that she was able to question mm. anything able to question her parents' beliefs, able to question her own beliefs, able to question what's possible, able to question what she does, able to actually be a creator in her own life as opposed to being somebody who has life affected upon them because of, you know, what people believe to be the right thing and fitting in and looking for love and acceptance and making sure that we don't rock the boat and you know, everybody does it this way, so I'm going to do it that way too. And, of course, that's the way that we go. Why would you question that? What else is there? You know, of course, we're only going to go down the one path. So I think that a lot of people in today's society, and it's certainly my hope for people, is that they do actually, you know, listen to this show and, and realize that everything is up for question. Everything, even their name, is up for question. Nothing is a fait accompli. Nothing is... Um, a, 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 a necessitated way of being or a necessitated action to take. You know, everybody's got freedom, but I think that we we see ourselves as relatively trapped because everybody around us has been relatively trapped. So we think that, well, we can't, you know, we, we've, we've got to go to the doctor because that's what everybody does or we've got to go and get, we've got to go on the pill because that's what you do, you know, like who wants to use condoms? Like that's so gross. Mm. You know, and... and Sorry, yeah. darling, I think you're absolutely right. I, I just think, you know, what I love about going to see my doctor or a naturopath or um, a chiropractor or an osteopath or an acupuncturist, anybody, I think, and I'm so grateful for this and I'm, I'm very grateful for to you girls for, for teaching me even more, is, is also if there's any charge, emotional charge, or I get a funny feeling in my tummy or anything that... I don't have to make a decision there and then. I can sleep on it for 24 hours or I can go back to the doctor in a week when I've had time to digest what they've said and um, or I can go and ask three other therapists or specialists what their beliefs are so that I gather enough information for me to make the decision that then I feel good about so that in a year, two years, a month, day's time, I'm not going to feel guilty for those decisions. And I think that's a really powerful point maybe to, to come to a close with is is that you know, what you're saying, Karen, is everything's up for question. Give yourself space and time to digest that questioning. Um, do your own research. And then when you make a decision, you know that you've made it without the quick fix. I'll take a t- Panadol because I've got a headache or I'm going to take the pill because I've got acne. It's more about what's causing those problems. How can I treat it? Is that a questionable thing that I can actually really give myself some time out to make those decisions in a better way? Or more importantly, what's my body saying to me in order that what are those whispers that it's trying to say to me? And I, I really, you've, you've just given me a major aha. There is, there is no right or wrong, really, is there, Kaz? It's, it's just. No, what... and I, and, and I think that, I think that, you know, when I say that everything is up to question, it means just, just look at it, just review it. And everybody makes the best decisions that they're capable of making at the time that they make them with the information that they have. Mm. So there's no there's no getting it wrong in this life. All there is is just experiencing. So we you know instead of just making a decision because that's what the norm is, I guess what we're saying, all three of us collectively, is don't don't consider the norm to be the norm. Create your own norm and by you know, as you say, Cindy, and 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 can you educate yourself? Make the best decision that you're capable of making. Just be informed and and be clear on it and. You know, and, and, and make sure that you're putting yourself at the heart of the choice. But everything is up for grabs. Everything. The colour blue. Is that blue? Who says? You know, what I should do with my money? Who says? Should it go in the bank? Who says? Now just, just, just question everything. And it doesn't mean what the norm is is not right. You might still come back and say, yeah, no, actually I'm going to go with the norm. But at least you've initiated the choice as opposed to the choice being initiated for you. I think that's probably the big thing. But great conversation. Yeah, and you know what, Karen? I actually think that we are kind of walking around like zombies, um, sheep, accepting Mm. uh, what's dished out to us. And I believe 
but no, I don't believe. I know what you say is absolutely correct. And for those people who are listening, it is to question everything. And is this right or wrong for me? And you being a vegan, me being a meat eater, Kim being a pescatarian, <laughs> or is that Presbyterian? I'm actually, I'm actually a PPP. I'm a triple P. I'm a pescatarian, polterian, paleo, actually. Oh, right. Yes, yes, actually, I'm and, a qualitarian. And, 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 and a qualitarian. A, yeah. a what? A tartarian. A, tar- a, a tartarian. Well, I'd say I'm a qualitarian tartarian. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I like that, a qualitarian tartarian. I'm a QT, a QT, a qualitarian tartarian. Oh, yeah. And that means you're a cutie. And I'm a cutie. Hello, oh, Christmas. Hello. Hello. I think we've come up with a new term. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that this was what this podcast has been all about is that, you know, we started off because we had the question on, well, should I take the pill or shouldn't I take the pill or, and coming to that, uh, medications okay or not okay. And, and some of the things that we didn't discuss is Prozac and Valium and ADD and ADHD and, and all of these things like that. So I think, um, that, We've only just touched the surface. I don't believe that we've really gotten into it. And I think the main thing is to research, to question, um, and make up your own mind uh, about this. And maybe with the help of um, other people that are giving you information but don't take it as fact, make sure you go and, and study it. Mm, mm. And I also yeah, get philosophy because of yours what's really helped me relax as a mum and I think anybody that listens to Up For A Chat oh my gosh I think we already do question that's why we listen to Up For A Chat and we're we're a part of it but I think the thing that also helps me is and and I'll give you the example I can only say it I have a you know a 15 year old son who's starting to go to parties and you know he told me the other night he went to a party and he watched people doing drugs and oh, and yeah. um and I'm and I'm sitting there going I don't want my children to go to parties I don't want them to have to even question going on the pill. I don't want them doing that. Um, I don't want them, I, I want my babies back, you know, and I did this whole thing in my head and I thought, you know what, their lives are already, and This is. I'm not saying this is true, this is just truth for me, their lives are mapped out and, in fact, one thing that my beautiful doctor turned around to me and she said, she said, you know what, love, all we can do is give them and constantly teach to them our values you have to know that your children will go out and make their own decisions, their own choices, and you just hope that they've had enough questioning values for themselves that a solid, good parenting gives them, which is truckloads of love, the best that you can possibly be, honouring the fact that you're up for questioning yourself every five seconds. I mean, every time they tell me I'm an idiot, I agree with them because five minutes ago I was an idiot and now I'm not. But anyway, you know, tomorrow I'll be another idiot, but it's okay. But I just have to trust that the map for them is already in place, that hopefully my values as a human being, being kind to the planet, myself and my fellow human beings, is actually what will come through. And I have to trust that if my child takes a drug you know, through a moment of whatever it is, we don't know. I don't know what they're going to do when they're not around. But I have to trust that whatever's going to happen out of those consequences are there for all of our teachings and learnings no matter what. And and I'm not saying that lightly by any means. I pray to God every day that my children will make good decisions. But I don't know. There's moments of insanity when we don't. Yeah, look, there are those moments. But I think if you bring up your children with the knowledge that they have uh, strength inside them and they have the knowledge um, and the ability to heal, the ability to come up with the, the answers to life's questions, that it's, it, it's within, it's not without. So, so many times we're, we're told, oh, you have a pain, here, take a Panadol, it'll make you feel better. Oh, you have an infection, here, take an antibiotic, that will get you better. Here, you have um ADD here have Ritalin that'll make you better so it's always the outside external forces that are meant to make you feel better but in actual fact it's and you will agree with this I know Karen it's our internal forces that can only make us feel better it's about who we are as human beings and how we teach our children that is their inner strength and their inner knowledge and their innateness that in actual fact will get them through pain physically mentally and emotionally and that's what I always taught my children is that 
and that's why I never gave them medications. Unless it was a life-threatening situation, I would be there in a flash. But for everyday pain and for everyday things, I always made sure that they did it from them and by themselves as opposed to having outside forces to make them better. And I know that giving them that, that when they were told maybe at 16, 17, that here, this little white pill, and it could be ice or marijuana or whatever it is, this little white pill will make you feel better. They knew that it wouldn't because they know what makes them feel better is what comes from internally, not externally. Mm. Magic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, that's, that's been a fabulous conversation, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, very. Well, hopefully everybody who's been listening to the show has loved it as much as we've loved delivering it for you. So we want to hear about your thoughts and your experiences. What was it like growing up for you when you were a child? You know, what was it like in your household back in the olden days? What did your grandparents feel about drugs and pharmaceuticals and what do you think about them now? Hit us with it. Tell us everything. Go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and you can also post on all the w's dot the wellness couch dot com forward slash up for a chat and we absolutely love hearing from you so don't hold back hit us with your thoughts and if you've got any ideas or if you've got any questions that you want us to answer for you now is a really good time to jump onto our facebook page and send us a message and let us know what you'd like us to cover because we love to be able to respond to what you want to hear so kayla Thank you so much for your message through to our Facebook page. We hope that you got everything that you wanted out of today's show. So join us here next week on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We love having you on the ride. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.